Well, hello, my name is Justin, and I'm the Family Ministries Pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. I'm bringing you this next part of our current series, Summer Hymns. Now, the reason why we're doing this series is because hymns are more than just, you know, old songs that, you know, parents or grandparents have sang, but they're songs that carry so much richness and depth. They're songs that, you know, some of them we've been singing as the church for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. And in addition to the, the great memories that they can carry with them, there's also so much amazing spiritual depth within the lyrics of these songs. And our reason for doing this series is to just show some of the history behind these songs, to expand on some of the themes found within them and hopefully bring a new appreciation for these great spiritual songs that the church has been singing for decades, centuries, and, th and millennia. <laughs> so the song that we're going to be talking about today is called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Now, to start us off, I'm going to tell us a story about the person who wrote this song. This person's name is Robert Robinson. Now, Robert Robinson was born in the 1700s in Norfolk, England. His father died when he was only five years old. And as a kid, he, as he grew up, he, he was known as a troubled kid. He often got into trouble. And as he got older, the trouble that he got into just kept getting worse. When Robinson was 14 years old, his mother sent him away to London to do an apprenticeship, hoping that you know, he would take better instruction from some male role models that he didn't have after the death of his father, as well as in the hope that he would break from his rebellious ways if he were given some structure in his life. Now, in contrast to the expectations of his mother, Moving to a bigger city did not make Robinson less of a rebel, but he actually gathered together a group of like-minded guys and started somewhat of a gang in the streets of London. Three years after moving to London and still causing trouble with his group of guys, Robinson heard that the famous Methodist preacher George Whitfield was coming to town. And while we don't know for sure why Robinson decided to go and hear the preacher. It's likely that when he rallied up the gang with him, he probably didn't say, hey guys, let's hear this preacher. It's probably gonna be really good. He probably said something like, hey guys, let's go make fun of the Methodist preacher. So even though Robinson and his gang's intention was likely to heckle this man off of the stage, something else happened. Robinson found that the sermon that Whitfield gave was so moving that he had a change in his heart and began to rethink his entire life. Three years after hearing that sermon, Robin, Robinson made peace with God, gave his life to him and found forgiveness. And shortly after that, he got involved with a Methodist church and felt a call on his life to preach. Two years later, Robinson was a preacher and in preparation for Pentecost Sunday, Robert Robinson wrote the hymn that we are looking at today, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The first verse of this hymn is perfect for Pentecost Sunday. It's full of praise and rejoicing. It's centering on who God is and, 
Uh, it's very lively and positive. But the last two verses take a very different turn. They become very introspective. And in these verses, we can see some of Robinson's story come through as it talks about the difficulties of faith, about the desire to be God's and and experience him fully, as well as God's faithfulness through the struggles of life. It's a song that resonates with me personally, and I think it does with others as well. I know it does with others as well as it's a popular hymn and has been for hundreds of years. So the link is in the description if you want to listen to this hymn. We're going to move forward. And this song is very reminiscent of Psalm 51. Now, well, I think the entire psalm as a whole is reflected in this song. I'm going to read a couple of verses that I feel emphasize this song's key themes. So I'm going to read Psalms 51 verses 10 and 11. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. These verses give us this picture of this idea of just wanting to be with God. You know, despite what we've done in our past, wanting to be right with God and calling out for that relationship. Now at the same time though, as the psalm says, it it uses the language of, of create in me a clean heart, renew a loyal spirit in me. It's calling on God to act in our lives rather than saying, that we're gonna do it ourselves. Rather than saying, you know, I'll clean my heart and I'll be loyal. The psalmist recognizes both the hopelessness of a human of their own will, but also the true freedom in that God does not require us to do anything on our own, but will move on our behalf through the Holy Spirit. And that's also what I hear in this song. I hear a longing to be with God, a recognition that, you know, I can't do it on my own, but the realization that I don't have to because God will. He's always with me. And when I hear this song, this this is the thing that threw me off the most is when I hear this song, I imagine it being written by an old man who has lived a hard life, you know, who's lived a long life, a life that's teetered back and forth from following God and falling away. I hear a a cry just to be held by God in the assurance of his love after a long, hard life. And I was shocked, to be honest, in preparation for this to learn that this song was written by someone as young as 22. But when you look at the story of Robert Robinson, the struggle and inner turmoil is clear. You know, losing his father at the age of five, raised in a home of faith, but constantly ending up in the wrong scenarios with the wrong people, And even after his breakthrough moment, hearing George Whitfield, it still took another three years to fully understand and respond to God's call that day. But as I think about this more and more, this difficulty of faith at such a young age is not unique to Robert Robinson. Growing up as a person of faith is a massively challenging thing for all people. 
Even just going through adolescence is a grueling experience for everyone. Everything's changing so quickly. There's physical and mental developments. Friendships can turn on a dime. All the while, you're in this limbo of no longer being a kid, but also not yet being an adult, feeling the weight of responsibility to make the decisions that seem like they'll determine the course of your entire life forever, while still not quite having full authority of your own life just yet. So it's a weird mix. It's a crazy and confusing time. And then to add questions of faith to the mix is just another difficulty. Some people listening might be in this stage right now and you're nodding along because you're like, yep, I'm feeling that right now. I'm feeling the weight of that. I'm experiencing you know, the friendship dynamics and Others of you might be a few or more years removed from that stage and you're nodding along because you remember being there. But there's actually a bit of a phenomenon that happens as we phase out of adolescence where you know, as early as you know, a couple of years out of adolescence, we begin to forget about the awkward, angsty part of high school and middle school and mostly focus on the good times of that stage of life or you know, still remember the bad parts, obviously, but with less of that awkward angst in mind. And it actually makes it really difficult for any of us who are not in high school or middle school to empathize with teenagers what they go through without difficult and conscious introspection and reflection on what that was like for us because we kind of bury it back. And that's part of what makes adding faith into that mix so hard for, for both young people and for people who have already gone through it. Because people who have already gone through it don't always consciously remember what it's like, but we think we remember what it was like. Something that I think everyone deals with, but especially young people in this stage of life, is doubt. Doubt often carries with it a feeling of shame or guilt. Like, you know, if you have questions or some amount of doubt, you feel like you lack faith. And it can be hard to talk about. It can make you retreat and retract from other people. But doubt is totally no- is a completely normal part of faith. Doubt, although it seems like it, is not the opposite of faith. You know, unbelief is the opposite of faith. And doubting or questioning is how we grow into a deeper understanding of what it is we believe. In fact, you actually can't doubt something without having some amount of belief in it. Because otherwise you just wouldn't believe. There would be no need to doubt. In faith development, there is this stage where you move from believing what was likely handed down to you from a parent or grandparent uh, to something that you make your own. It's, it's making your faith your own. And this stage is often compared to a trapeze artist. You know, as the trapeze artist is swinging from one swing to the next, they swing through the air, and there's a moment when they have to let go of the swing that they're on. You know, that's the faith that they've been handed. 
in order to grab on to the other swing that they're headed to. That, that's, that's the making your faith your own. And that's often where teenagers are, but it can happen through adulthood as well. It, it can happen at any point in one's life. But this can be frightening because for a moment you are suspended in the air. You know, you're not holding on to any swing at all. And it's possible that you might miss the grab and fall. But the risk of not making the jump is that you have a faith that you've just, it isn't yours. You've just been told what to believe and you don't, it's, it's not personalized for you. You don't really believe it. You just, you've accepted it from someone else. I'm sure most of us looking back can find that moment when we had to let go of what our parents or grandparents told us in order to truly believe for ourselves. You know, some of us might have been flying through the air for a little longer than others. And I'm sure if we heard all of the testimonies present today, there'd be a number of us who would say that, you know, yep, I was flying through the air a little bit longer than some, or some who might have even said, yep, I fell on the net or uh, fell on the ground and it took me a little bit longer than others before I made it to the other side. But that's where I want to talk about what our place as the church is in this process of a person's faith journey. See, trapeze artists don't go up and fly through the air with no safety precautions at all, although it kind of looks like it. You know, they do have training. They have support from the other artists. And there are also nets to catch them when they, when they do miss. And all of those are roles for us, the church, and the lives of our kids and teens as they grow in their faith, and for those who are older but also growing in their faith journey as well. I've heard so many stories of people walking away from faith, walking away from church because they either had a really bad experience when having questions or just didn't feel that it was appropriate to be a part of a church and have questions or experience doubt, so they withdrew and left, or people who have been just straight up kicked out of their church or faith group because they had questions or doubt. But I firmly believe that the church should be the safest place to be asking questions about God, to be asking questions about faith. That in the church, people should feel most supported when having these questions rather than feeling shame and guilt. But there is still that stigma that comes with it. And with that, there are some things that we can do as a church to position ourselves to be a positive thing in the lives of those who are questioning. I believe that there are people in our church who either have questions or will have questions, and you know, we need to be ready to support them without judgment. But I also believe that there are people out there who God is tugging at their hearts and they're having questions and they don't know what to make of it yet. And we need to be ready and prepared to be welcoming, to be supportive, to be non-judgmental when we are given that honor to be a part of their lives during that time in that way. So I'm gonna share four things that we can do to prepare ourselves, to position ourselves, to be a positive and supportive thing in the lives of people who are experiencing questions and, and doubt. The first thing is that we need to be ready to listen. 
This seems simple, but it's also really difficult. It's a lot harder than it sounds because we can be so quick to open our mouths and start talking, but in order to feel supported, people need to be heard and we can't hear them when we're talking. So the first thing is just listen. And it might even be that that is all you need to do in that moment because some people don't necessarily want answers right away. Some people don't necessarily want a response. They just want to get what they're feeling off their chest. They just want to not be alone in that. They just want to be heard. But the second thing that we can do is we can affirm the question that they're asking. It's most likely that the, any question that somebody's asking of faith or of God is a good question. <laughs> it's a big topic. There's a lot of tough and confusing things in this subject worthy of wanting to know more about. So a good first response, rather than to try to answer or respond to the question that somebody is struggling with, is to let them know that the question they're asking is a good question, that it is a tough topic, that it makes sense that they're asking that. And maybe if you've struggled with that or you've known somebody who has, let them know that you struggled with that or that, that you know, your friend or your brother struggled with that. Let them know that they're not alone in asking that question, that they're not the first person to ask that question, that it's a normal thing. The third thing that we can do is ask for an invitation to speak to that question. I mean, if you've never thought about the topic and you don't really have anything to, to say, don't ask to speak into it. But if you do feel that you have something to say to the topic, you know, ask them, hey, do you want to hear what I think about that? And if they say yes, you know, share your thoughts, share what you have to say. But if they say no, then you know, keep it to yourself for the moment. Because solicited thoughts and advice are always more welcome than unsolicited thoughts and advice. If you've asked if they want to hear what you have to say and they say yes, then you've been given permission to speak into that. That They'll respect what you have to say more than if you just said it out of the blue. And lastly, and this one might be the hardest one, but it's really important, is you need to be comfortable with the person you're talking to still being unsure after your conversation. It's likely that you won't have solved their entire pro problem in that moment. But you were there for them and you hopefully added a beneficial piece to their faith journey in growing into a deeper relationship and understanding of God. But you need to be okay with, you know, them not feeling all put back together in that moment. It still will probably take some time. There's a line from this hymn that stands out most to me, and it's this line. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take this heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. When I look into scripture, I, I see time and time again that, that wandering of the people of God. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we see this cycle of people trusting in God, then something happens or nothing happens, and they fall away, then God sends someone to bring them close again, and then something happens or nothing happens, and they fall away, and then God sends somebody to bring them back close, 
And it goes on and on and on again. You see it happen multiple times through Exodus. You see it happen through Joshua. You see it happen time and time again through judges and kings. It just goes on and on and on. Because we as people have this deep desire to know God, to be with him, to, be, to feel wrapped in his arms. We also have this nature that constantly has us wandering away to be pulled back in. And I'm so thankful to serve a God who does the work of pulling me back in time and time again. But I'm also thankful that we serve a God who has given us the church to support each other when we are having these difficult times. Questions and doubts are not things that don't belong in the church. That's, that's like a double negative in there, so it's kind of confusing. Questions and doubts belong in the church. We shouldn't be just sending people away to go get their these things sorted out so that they can come back. We should be here walking with them, supporting them through that. People should not be going through these things alone. In the Gospel of John, we read the story of doubting Thomas. You know, he wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. And when Thomas heard what the others had said, he told them that he wouldn't believe that Jesus was really alive unless he saw and touched the holes in Jesus' hands. Now, if you've heard the story before, maybe you're like me, and when you, when, when you think of the story in your head, it always seems as though, like, right after Thomas says, you know, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive unless I see him, that, like, instantly Jesus walks through the door, and he's like, then Thomas sees and, and feels, and he believes right away. But that's not how that story goes. See, Thomas says that, but he doesn't see Jesus for eight days after that. That means for eight days, while everyone else believed that Jesus was alive, Thomas didn't. And not only did Thomas stick around with the group for eight days while not believing, the people who saw Jesus, who know that he's alive, who are probably like, Thomas, I don't get it. Why don't you just believe? Stayed with him as well. They supported him. They, did, they didn't kick him out. They didn't say you shouldn't be here. But it was obviously a supportive enough environment that Thomas felt comfortable to stay for eight days and they felt comfortable having him there. See, Satan wants us to feel alone. And he wants us to feel alone so that we will be alone because when we are alone, we are at our weakest. We are called to be together, to stand up for one another, to support each other through hardships, through questions and even doubts. So if you have tough questions about God, I want you to know that you are in the best place to be asking tough questions about God. You are in the best company to be doing so. And if you aren't, you know what your duty is to support your family in Christ through it all. And it took Thomas eight days. It took Robert Robinson three years. It took me about two years through high school personally but when we have a supportive community, that time doesn't need to be spent alone, that time doesn't need to be wasted, that time doesn't need to be you know, frightening or scary. 
because we have each other with us. God has given us each other to go through that with. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the encouragement that we can find in it. And God, we also pray for just the volumes of reflection on you and your goodness that we have available to us through the centuries. God, that we have these songs that carry such meaning to us and can cause so much meaningful reflection as well. The songs that bring you glory, bring you praise. God, I pray for for everyone listening right now, God, as we go through this journey of faith, as we learn more about you, as we experience you. God, maybe maybe we've, we've grown up believing in you our entire lives, or maybe we came to know you all on our own, God. God, I, I just pray for an assurance for everyone listening. God, if if they have questions, if there are things that they doubt, God, that they wouldn't feel shame or guilt in thinking those things, God, but, but that they would be supported. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, God, that you would clarify those questions or doubts, God, that you would also provide your church to be a positive support in their lives, God, that that none of us should have to go through life alone. So God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you've given us each other, that you've given us your spirit. And we thank you that you gave us yourself on the cross for our sins so that way we can know you personally. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.